this time of the year traditionally uh, has been called Lent in the church and it's a time where we reflect on Jesus' crucifixion and we look forward to celebrating the resurrection at Easter. And for us here at Chapel Hill, that means that we're going to look at John's account of the night that Jesus was betrayed and crucified. And I love baptisms. Uh, It's a great joy to see Jack baptised this morning. Uh, But I suppose it's worth flagging that, uh, as as joyful as that is, Jesus' words this morning uh, are not so uh, pleasant and joyful to reflect on. We come into John's Gospel the night that Jesus was betrayed and he, he sets the agenda for us when he tells our hearts not to be troubled. And he introduces the theme of fear. And I suppose I want to flag it at, at, at this point uh, just to say that uh, we're going to go through the valley. Uh, we all experience troubled hearts. We all feel darkness in our lives. We all feel restlessness, anxiety, fear, and dread. And we all need to come to terms with it. In our culture, we're highly attuned to the cancerousness of fear. We all know how uh, a troubled heart can make your body sick. It can sour relationships. It can sap the joy and colour from life. It can make living life unbearable. When fear takes root, it just puts us out of joint. Uh, I'm sure you've noticed how uh, being worried about something, it can affect how you physically feel. Or not caring for your body can actually impact your sense of well-being. Or, Or the way that you can catch someone's stress who you love even though you're in no danger whatsoever. Uh, Troubled hearts, um, feeling fear and anxiety. They describe the experience of being out of harmony with uh, our fellow humans, being out of harmony with God and uh, being out of harmony with creation, um, including our own bodies. But the interesting thing is we live in a time that all things considered should be much less troubled than earlier times. We've never been richer, we've never been safer or healthier, but so often our hearts are still troubled. Uh, Well, the story of fear is, uh, it's a big theme in in the Bible and it it comes in early on. Uh, As we Christians see it, God's not a neutral force. Uh, If we understand him rightly, God is the source of all good things, um, Marzi read Psalm 16 for us at the beginning of our service and I think it puts it rightly when the psalmist says, apart from you, I have no good thing. In Genesis, you don't have to turn there, but uh, Adam walked with God in the cool of the evening and, and talked with him as a friend. But after the fall, not only do humans die, not only do they hurt one another, but their own hearts also turn against them. It says in Genesis 1, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he, walk, as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, 
And I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Adam and Eve obviously had no need to hide from God. They were There was no shame before, but you can't put toothpaste back in the tube. And once fear is loose, it just seems like there's no getting it under control. One of the sad ironies of living in a fallen, broken world is that not only do things get logistically harder, humans die, childbirth is painful, crops fail, but we also fear and our hearts turn against us. We feel the tightness in our chest, the pain in the stomach, the pressure in your head, which often at bottom has no reason at all. Once we turn away from God's loving kindness, so often our hearts become troubled. And because of this, we often hurt others. And fear, we often put others down to build ourselves up. Um, Fear can lead us to abuse others for our own financial security. Fear can mean that we give the cold shoulder to someone else who's hurting. You know, I might reach out to someone, but I might get hurt. And so the next time I could reach out to someone, there's this fear that it might happen again. And it's much easier to ignore someone who's hurting than take the risk and make myself vulnerable to maybe getting hurt again. As Christians, our troubled hearts, we know, stems from the fear of God. If God is the source of all that is good, then to be far from him is to be in darkness that so often seems inescapable, a fear of what cannot be seen and may not even be there. It leads us to distrust others and to feel the anxiety that I'm not loved, that there is no one beside me and that maybe I am actually alone. So where's the way out? Well, to experience God as fear is not something that we should be surprised at. It's a natural and right response to our state as sinners. We're victims and we're perpetrators in a sinful world. And to experience life so often as darkness and fear is not something I think we ought ever to expect to be free from. And in fact, to think that we ought to be is to ignore the reality of the world that we live in. We come into the story of John's Gospel as Jesus is telling his disciples not to be afraid. Jesus says, uh, quite famously, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's going to prepare a place for them and he'll prepare a place for us. He says that he'll protect us and he will never leave us. And it's it's comforting, isn't it? But uh, look at verse 8 with me. Did you notice Philip's response? In verse 8, Philip says, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Philip is sitting there and he hears Jesus and he's thinking, look, Jesus, I hear you say that. I'm hearing you say things are going to get hard. I mean, you said you're going to die. You're saying that one of us here is going to betray you. Can you give us something to get through this? If only God would crack the skies and come down like he did with the prophets of old. 
Then, thinks Philip, I will be comforted. If only there was a special appearance from God, a word in this time of trouble, maybe an explanation for what is happening, an encouraging word that God is still with us. Jesus, can you show us the Father? I don't know about you, but when I'm going through darkness, this is just what I want too. An experience of God in times of darkness, a moment where I know that I am not alone and that there is someone who will get me through this. Uh, But look at the, the following verse. Look at verse 9 with me. Jesus says to Philip, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Jesus' response is simple and it's profound. You want to feel the presence of God? You want a special comfort in times of darkness? Well, you're looking at it. Jesus says in verse 10, Don't you believe that I'm in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it's the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me. Jesus' words and deeds here, they're literally God's revelation. The great claim that us Christians make is not that just fullness of life is found in worshipping God, but that we find it specifically in the person and work of Jesus. Now, just as a sidebar, you might be thinking, isn't that a bit exclusive? And you'd be right. The dominant way of thinking in our culture is that what's right for you is whatever you choose. I mean, isn't it exclusive and narrow-minded claims like this that are the problem? Don't they create divisions? Don't they position things as us and them? Don't they create all sorts of anxiety about whether or not we do have the truth? I mean, who are we to say that we've got the truth and no one else does? Isn't the way out of fear just to stop worrying about who is right and wrong and just be kind to one another? Well, the claim of Jesus here is definitely exclusive. But I suppose if we turn it around, is this other view any less exclusive either? Jesus is up front. Um, There's no bait and switch when he says, there's no other way to God except through him. But I suppose the idea that everyone can choose their own path and that everyone can encounter God as they choose is just another exclusive way of viewing the world. You might hold that view and that's fine, but just be aware that in doing so, you're saying that everyone who disagrees with you is wrong. If everyone can believe what they want and find truth for themselves, then you're saying that everyone who thinks otherwise is mistaken, narrow. All we can do is take Jesus' words at face value and ask ourselves, is he right or is he wrong? 
Or to put it another way, I think the real question that's actually worth asking is, on what grounds can Jesus tell our hearts not to be troubled? I think that's the important question when it comes down to it. What difference does Jesus teaching his deeds, the cross, what does it do when my heart is troubled? After all, fear doesn't seem to discriminate. It affects the most pious believer and it can spare the most selfish evildoer. And there's every chance that your experience, my experience of darkness may never change. We may continue to suffer, despair and darkness and never find a way out. So what difference does it make? Well, I think the difference is that when we look to the cross, there's a great demonstration that our experience of God's absence is not the true reflection of reality. You know, in this same conversation, uh, the night that Jesus was betrayed, it's in verse 21 of the previous chapter, but you don't have to look it up. We read that Jesus was troubled. It's the same word. John speaks of Jesus being troubled three times in his gospel. Once when Lazarus died, once when Jesus was troubled, and once here in our passage. But let me ask you this, on what grounds should Jesus have had a troubled heart? On what grounds did Jesus merit a heart of fear before God? Jesus had no need to fear. In fact, he was constantly welcoming the vulnerable, the outcast, the sinner, in a way that we never could because of the fear that holds us back. And unlike us, Jesus was with God in perfect harmony with his will. It says so in our passage this morning. Jesus had no need to fear being abandoned by God because Jesus had never turned from God. You know, the thing about Jesus' troubled heart is that it's actually different from ours. Not in terms of its realness and our experience of darkness and fear is very real and very concrete. But only Jesus' fear was ultimately justified. Jesus had no reason to fear, but he chose the dread of God on our behalf. And that means that even though our fear is relative and often disconnected from reality and completely meaningless... Jesus' fear was totally concrete and justified. At your worst moment and my worst moment, when we feel like we're drowning and we can't breathe, what that thing was, was a foretaste of what Jesus drank to the dregs. In our troubled hearts, we sense the dread of God but only Jesus has actually experienced it. It's a funny way to put it, but in times of darkness, you have a view in part to what Jesus experienced in full. 
on the cross, Jesus was utterly alone and the Father turned his face away. And there was no hyperbole when he cried out, my God, why have you forsaken me? But do you see what this means? There is a way out. The way out of fear is the way of the cross. Jesus' heart was troubled to the point of death in order that you might know that you are not alone. God chose not to forsake you. Jesus' heart was troubled more than we will ever understand because he experienced the full abandonment of God. And this is the demonstration that God loves us and will not abandon us. Knowing this, knowing Jesus' troubled heart, has the power not to free us from the experience of fear and darkness, but it does free us from the reality of being lost in a fear-stricken, dog-eat-dog world where we tread on others to protect ourselves because we're so afraid. Because the thing is, if Jesus' death were meant to snatch us away and protect us ever from feeling darkness, then that, that would just be a victory for darkness, for fear. If Jesus' death was meant to cotton wool us in this life from any experience of pain or fear, then we wouldn't be free from fear. We'd just be on the run from it. Our whole lives would be spent hoping that calamity wouldn't befall us, that we wouldn't suffer, that darkness wouldn't enter our lives. You can see how this would just be a different kind of fear. It would just be a different kind of darkness. Or put it another way, if the solution to a troubled heart was to avoid any experience of darkness, we'd have to live the exact opposite kind of life to the life that Jesus led. Jesus said he's going to prepare a place for us in verse 2 of our passage and that he will come back and take us to be with him. And this is great comfort. But what exactly did Jesus have in mind when he said that? You know, is, he, is he fluffing pillows in God's mansion? Uh, is he stocking the fridge with the best food? No, Jesus is talking about the cross. Jesus tells his disciples that they already know where he's going. Thomas says in verse 5, read with me, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. The way of Jesus is the way to peace with God. And peace with God removes any grounds for fear that we might feel. But if we're going to embrace the way of Christ, then we need to realize that in a funny way, the way out of our troubled hearts is the way back in. It's the way of the cross. 
Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. But we shouldn't miss the dark irony of what Jesus is saying here. I mean, what's going to happen over the next 48 hours? Jesus is the way to God because he was abandoned by God. He is the truth because he was the innocent one counted as guilty. And he is life because the man who in no way deserved death only a matter of hours later would hang on a tree. Jesus offers us a way out of the darkness of this world, but the great reveal is that in order to know God, we are called to take up the way of the cross too. The way out is the way back in. So the solution to my worry and my fear is not to try to feel better about my life. That's not my life's purpose, and that's not your life's purpose. And anyone who tells you otherwise is leading you down the wrong path. You know, you see this in the kind of people who treat the people around them like dirt, all for the sake of the well-being of their own life. I do that all the time. In order to preserve our sense of well-being, our sense of mindfulness, we so often refuse to shoulder the pain that someone else is feeling. And it can lead us into all sorts of cruelty when we reject the pain of others because of the fear that we might somehow be contaminated by the darkness that they are going through. Even if it doesn't take away the darkness in our life, do you see what difference the cross makes to our troubled hearts? If I'm loved, I don't have to worry about letting the darkness in. We can go through the valley with other people because we know that the love of Christ is sufficient for us. And when we go through the valley ourselves, we don't have to worry about finding happiness or peace. We don't have to think that something has gone horribly wrong because I'm feeling darkness. There is a deeper reality And this means that even in our own darkness, we can reach out to others in love. Jesus experienced the reality of what we fear so that we might know that it will never happen to those who belong to him. Look at verse 12 with me. Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Now the key phrase is, in my name. What are Jesus' works? What is the essence of the name of Jesus? It's whatever happens along the way of the cross. Jesus never promises us whatever serves our well-being. On the contrary, Jesus promises whatever is necessary for us to embody the way of the cross in our own lives. Our fear is not eradicated, but it is transformed. Instead of running from darkness in this world, we can be light. And Jesus promises us that he will always give us what we need to walk this road. 
Jesus went to the Father and has a place prepared for all those who call upon him. And so our life now is not a life spent conquering fear, but having our affliction transformed so that instead of reacting to hatred and fear with more of the same, we can respond with love. If others don't seem to like you or respect you, there is a place prepared for you. If your safety, if your financial security is threatened, there is a place prepared for you. If you never feel accepted or understood, when you are sick and when you are dying and all the good things of this life are taken away, there is a place prepared for you. The way out of our troubled hearts is the way of the cross. Only the cross offers us a reality deeper than our experience of fear. Only the, only the way of the cross can free us from thinking that this, this life is all about my own Disney princess moment of self-actualization. Only the way of the cross can set us free from the narrow view that life is all about me being happy, fulfilled, and with a healthy sense of well-being. Only the cross transforms us not to run away from pain and those who might hurt us, but to run towards them. To believe in Jesus is to know, even if you don't feel it, that there is a deeper love of God that overcomes the darkness of the world we live in. The person and the work of Jesus was a demonstration of how freedom from the reality of fear means that we can love the stranger, the outcast, the sinner, the person who makes you feel uncomfortable and afraid. He promises us, he gives us his word that he will lead us along the way of the cross to the place that he has prepared. I'm going to read verses 1 to 4 of this passage. I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we all feel the darkness that comes from living in this world tainted by sin. Our hearts are troubled. Lord, teach us the way of the cross, especially for those of us here who are crippled by darkness in their hearts and mind. Lord, we pray, help us cling to Jesus. Help us to follow the way of the cross so that we can be like Jesus and overcome darkness by being light to those around us. Amen.